Welcome to On Air with Legacy Theatre, where you can take theatre with you wherever you go. Brought to you by LegacyTheatreCT.org. I would love to talk about if you have any theatrical or entertainment background with you personally, and if so, which aspect or which field have you found yourself most drawn towards? Well, you know, theater was a very important part of our lives because since I can remember, literally, I mean, I was taken to the theater with my father to see, you know, we were we lived all over the place. We were gypsies. But I think I said to you that earlier that we were gypsies and we really were. We lived, you know, from hotel to hotel to a rental to, you know, and it was constant. And that's why I never went to school. He never wanted me to go to school. And I had supposedly private tutoring, let's put it that way. Um, but, uh, so I was with them all the time and my parents went to the theater a lot in those days. So I was taken, I mean, I, you know, I went to, I remember going to Covent Garden to see, you know, Nureyev and Fontaine, the great dancers in, and I was barely five, you know, that's my first sort of memory of, you know, no, I'm sorry, not five, I was barely four of, of going actually into a theater where it was dark and I was watching something, you know, that was on a stage. Uh, and then of course, you know, we went to the West End constantly to see everybody, you know, who was anything or whatever play that was on, we went to see. And the first experience and only uh, experience that I had with my father on stage was when he did um, Chimes at Midnight um, in Dublin um, in 19, let's see, I was four, so it had to be 19... 60, I guess. Yeah. 1960. And um, yeah, and it was wonderful. You know, he loved Dublin. And of course, that's where he started and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was actually, I ended up going on stage. I was at the end of the the play. I was part of this little group that says, hail the king. I still remember it. Um, Again, I was probably four and a half. I don't think I was five yet. And I played this little boy which then evolved into a larger, much larger part, as I have now discovered and had forgotten in the movie Chimes at Midnight, um, where I paid uh, Boy, which is uh, Falstaff's page. But on stage, uh, you know, I was just, you know, screaming away, hail the king at the end of, you know, at the end of the play, along with everybody else. And, you know, experienced that night after night in Dublin while he was doing his probably his favorite compilation of plays that he's ever put together, which is Chimes at Midnight. And, and, you know, as you know, Chimes at Midnight ended up being, I don't know if you do know, his favorite movie that he ever made. So he was very fond, yeah, you know, of that whole whole thing so it was it was lovely I mean it was always everybody was very happy I remember everybody being extremely happy during you know during the 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 production and it was short it was not you know I think it was just a few months in Dublin they didn't you know they didn't tour they didn't do anything it was a special sort of thing and uh it you know it's the first time he ever really did Chimes at Midnight and it was sort of the the prelude to to the movie, which then happened, you know, four years later in, and was made in, in Spain. Wow, that, that's amazing that, you know, as speaking from 
memories when you were four and a half years old that they're still so <laughs> well you know mind. but those are things I know but those are things are that you don't forget you know what I mean mm-hmm. I because I wasn't on stage all the time um you know I mean yes I was around movie sets and all that kind of stuff since I can remember but stage is something very different it's uh, you know it's very special I mean theater is very special it always will be it's always the best I think out of everything it's you know it's with live audience you can change it if you wish you know it, it's never monotonous people complain that you know it's the same thing night after night it's not you know it's it's up to you to to perfect it to change it to do whatever you want you know and that's that's something that my father enjoyed enormously about you know theater versus movies even though the love of his life were the movies um, he loved theater because he could tweak it and change it, you know, because he was such a perfectionist. Nothing was ever, you know, right. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> that's something I inherited from him. I, <laughs> I wish I hadn't, but I'm the same way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I always say the same, same exact thing as what you just said, is that two audiences seeing the same show on two different nights will see different shows because... Of course, yeah. Might say lines differently. The director may have decided to change something. Like you just don't know. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, you just don't know. You you really don't know. It, it it's very odd. Um, mm-hmm. it, it you know people because you hear people say you know oh it gets so boring and I you know I always wonder how can it get boring when it is something that you can you know change around and play around with you know obviously within reason but you know it's. It, it, it's changeable theater, whereas, you know, once it's in celluloid and whatever it do, it's not anymore. But, you know, once it's done, it's done. It's in the can, as they say, in the movie business, you know. Yeah. But still in your memory. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, my God, my father loved theater. I mean, it was, you know, that's where he started really acting, you know, as you know, I'm sure, you know, in, in, in Dublin yeah. of all places. And uh, he loved it. And I think he really wanted many times to go back to it in later years, but it was just not feasible. You know, theater had become uh, and has become a very different, uh, you know, kettle of fish, if you want to call it that, than it was, you know, when he was younger. I mean, to, to you know, to do a West End play or a Broadway play or whatever. It's mm-hmm. just, it's completely different. It's just, yeah. you know, really different. So you did mention just now that you spent a lot of time on movie sets growing up. Are there yeah. uh, specific memories that really stand out in your mind of being on those sets? And if so, can you share some with us? Sure. I don't know what, I, you know, it's, for me, it was so much just a part of my life that I thought everybody had a life like mine. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> not just, you know, it, it took me years, literally, I mean, decades to figure out that I had a very different childhood than most people uh, because I didn't go to school he didn't want me to go to school he wanted because he was traveling so much and making movies he didn't he would have ended up having to send me to a boarding school you know that's what would have happened and he didn't want that you know he wanted he wanted me with him which was you know wonderful so um of course I ended up on movie sets and, you know, and crazy things like that. But, you know, the ones that I remember the most are, of course, you know, I remember the trial, uh, which he did in Paris and he was shot mostly at the Palais d'Orsay, which is a 
was then a very run-down railway station. I think now it's become a, a museum, if I'm not mistaken. It's become the Palais d'Orsay, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't been to Paris in over a decade, so I, I really don't know. But that's what I've heard. And, you know, I remember it being incredibly cold um, uh, and falling madly in love with Tony Perkins. I thought he was just the most oh. gorgeous man I'd ever seen in my life. I think I was six when they shot <laughs> the trial yeah no Tony was just it he was so lovely he was so nice to me I mean you know but I was so in love with Tony Perkins it was just crazy um but you know we were and I remember with the trial I mean you know and I've said this before but it's a true story we you know because it was as usual you know 90 percent of the funding of the movie was my father's own money uh, you know, we started off, and I think it's the Georges Sank in, in Paris, you know, in a suite. And as the movie progressed, we ended up somewhere in some tiny hotel on the left bank, you know, just <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you're running out of money, all going to the movie. So that's the memorable, the most memorable memory of, of oh the trial. Gosh. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the thing about my father, and it, it was that every time... I certainly was on set with him or whatever uh, was around him when, you know, a movie was being made and he was actually directing it. I'm not talking about acting and, you know, and the many awful movies that he had to make, had to act in to, to make money to, you know, to make his own movies. But the ones that he directed, you know, I was just remember incredibly happy sets, people just loving him and just having a great time. You know, it wasn't, nothing was ever heavy. It was always, it was always a joyful place. And, and, you know, that counts. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying, I feel like that's how it should be. Uh, Yeah, of course it should be. Absolutely. It just, uh, that's what I remember. And it's a child's memory. So, you know, I was not influenced by anything or anybody um, and that's the memory that I, the most vivid memory I have of, you know, being on set when my father was directing was that everybody was having a great time, you know, oh, and that's, what that's, I think it's a lovely memory. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that that's the memory that I have. That is lovely. That's wonderful. I love that that's been able to stick with you and, and stay with you. I feel like yes, that. I mean, yes, that's the, the, the biggest memory that I have of, of, you know, of all of them is that. I mean, Chimes at Midnight, of course, was different in the sense that I was there more because I was in it. I was in this movie. He wanted me in it. I never wanted to be an actress, never wanted to act. I mean, he had to coerce me and to promise me that he was going to pay me something. Of course, he never did. But, (laughs) you know, I did not want to do it at all. But um, it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun that too, because, you know, I was there every day. I had, I had to be there. It wasn't just that I was visiting him on set, but my, I had a nanny when I was very young and um, I, I'm still in touch with her. She's in her nineties now. And she's, she was my Swiss, nan, my Swiss nanny. She's sort of the last thing I have like family at this point. And I went to see her three years ago. I went to Switzerland. I hadn't seen her in literally decades. And she reminded me of one. Well, she didn't remind me. She actually told me of one thing that I never knew. And it was, I was so touched by it. She said that when he was having a bad day on the set, that they would call and they would call my mother or her and say, please, please bring Beatrice, because I always put him in a good mood. 
Oh, that is so Isn't sweet. that sweet? I know. I was so That's touched when she told me. I went, oh, wow, you're kidding me. Now she said, oh, no, no. That's exactly how it was to get the phone oh. call. And I'd have to bring you over. And he'd put him in a good mood. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is Isn't so that sweet? Me. I know. I know. It's just a wonderful thing. I never knew it. And she told me about it. And I was just so touched oh. by it. I'm so glad she did a wonderful thing to know you know <laughs> so I, I feel like we kind of touched on this a little bit but what is it like for you to be Orson Welles's daughter <laughs> well it I don't know because that's all I've ever been <laughs> exactly. so it's uh it's different you know it's different but and but it, as I said to you earlier it just it took me a long time to realize that I had a, a very different upbringing than most people than most people who have a famous parent it's not that you know I didn't mm-hmm. go to you know Beverly Hills High or whatever you know I just yeah. I had this very sort of gypsy upbringing and they took me I must have been a nightmare because they took me with them everywhere you know what I mean so there was always this dreadful little child I'm, you know I must have been a monster I can't imagine everybody else you know putting up with me but I never had friends of my own age it was very bizarre because you know, we moved so much and I never had time. I didn't go to school, so I didn't meet anybody. There were very few scattered here and there that happened to be maybe, you know, the son or daughter of, you know, somebody that was making a movie with my father or friends of my parents or whatever. But so I was always surrounded by older people. And, you know, I, again, thought that was very normal. <laughs> Yeah. Later, you know, much later on in life, you go, wait a minute. No, no, this was not normal at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was interesting. I had a very interesting, wonderful life. You know, he was he was an extraordinary man. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of Americans have forgotten about him. Nowadays, you have to say you say Orson Welles and they usually look at you blankly and then you say, have you heard of a movie called Citizen Kane? And they go, oh, no. yes. And I say, well, that's the man who made it. And they go, oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, because it's, you know, he's he's ancient and he's not on social media and he never was on TV. So, you know, and he only made 13 movies, you know, so it's, it, it, you know, his work is is very, very little of it, you know. And yeah. so it, it, it's sad. In Europe, they still know him you know you mention Orson Welles and they'll go oh my god you know and he's like revered it's such a bizarre thing it's you know I I never understood that you know it took me again decades to sort of sit back and not think of him as my father but think of him as you know this extraordinary man that he was and I, I was able to separate it because it was very difficult when you hear people gushing about him and it's your father and you go, oh, you know, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable because you know yeah. him as daddy. <laughs> it's right. difficult to explain that. It, it, of course, you're proud. There's not, that's not the issue. It's just that it, you feel like, oh, my God, do they expect me to be, you know what I mean, because I am his daughter. And it's like it's almost like a weird feeling. I've gotten over that, you know, at this point right. in my life. But for a long time, there was that. Because it's such a, you know, when the people know him, it's not like, oh, yeah, Orson Welles. They go, oh, oh, my God, Orson Welles. You know, it's that kind of 
you know, Aww. and you go, oh. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. which is lovely. But it's, you know, as I said, growing up or in my, you know, younger years, it was, a, it was very bizarre for me because he was just my father, you know. Yeah. And I thought everybody had a father like mine and had a life like mine. And it was very normal. And, you know, friends, you know, I met the most extraordinary people. I mean, you know, not I'm not talking about movie actors or actresses. I'm talking about, you know, Picasso. I mean, you know, extraordinary people that were in our lives, you know, the Queen of England. I mean, you know, you know, all that those sort of and you just sort of then afterwards you go well no that isn't normal you know yeah that isn't normal at all (laughs) and you know he was this very intelligent extraordinary you know person and the one thing that he was and I'd like to talk about this because we are living in such bizarre times right now (laughs) um that he was you know the most unprejudiced man I have ever known in my entire life I mean you know, this isn't, it's extraordinary. I mean, you know, I lived a life where I didn't know, I didn't know the meaning of a different colored person or a different culture or I just didn't even understand that. It didn't even, I didn't even cross my mind, you know, it was only when I moved to this country, when we moved, you know, full time back to the States, which was, you know, in the late seventies. And I came to this country that I was shocked. And, uh, you know, I remember my mother and I going, my God, you know, it was just, we were, I mean, I certainly, uh, my mother, you know, was older, so probably she knew a little bit more, but I knew nothing. I had no concept of any kind of prejudice in my life. Absolutely zero. I didn't know the meaning of it. It's not that we weren't. It's just that I didn't know about it (laughs) because that's the way he was, you know, and I don't know if you know about logic, you know, the rapper logic. Uh, came out with a song this year you heard it with my father um I I've heard some of his music I haven't heard the one that came out this year okay well there's a new one that came out well newish it's you know about three months ago I think now um which is um he used a speech that my father did on the radio in 1946 about uh about being racist and and all that kind of stuff and he used it in a song called obediently yours which is the way my father i don't know if you remember how he used to sometimes close off well he used to not sometimes when during the mercury theater days he used to close off always saying uh, remain obediently yours orson wells and so he called this song obediently yours and all it is is just a little bit of his you know beat in the background with my father's speech that was written in 1946 and it's extraordinary I mean it yes I mean it's my I'd never heard it I should have done but I never heard it and it's you know but it's so apropos for today it is unbelievable you know and this is a speech that was written in 1946 you know and we're in 2020 that's so he was yeah Yeah. I know preserve yeah he was such words yeah exactly exactly and he was just yeah I mean he was just an extraordinary man in so many ways and it's uh it's a pity that not more people know about that side of him you know that he wasn't just a great director you know he he or he just had he was very multi-talented and 
and uh, an extraordinary human being. I mean, he was talking about the environment to me in the early 70s. You know, I mean, I, I became an environmentalist because of him in the 70s, not, you know, in the year 2010 or whatever. Right. And as a media studies major, we definitely talked about your father and classes. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which is great. I know. Worlds and what a big impact that had. And, and, you know, it's just crazy because from speaking about someone and their legacy from my classroom to now speaking to his daughters. And thank God that you are, you know, because those are important things and, and amazing things. I mean, War of the Worlds, if you think about it, it's, you know, it's, (laughs) it's incredible. Just incredible. You know, 1938, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, and he really is. Minded yeah. And, yeah, and like, mm. tuning in, they weren't sure if there was an alien invasion or, you know. No, I know. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, he was, he was extraordinary. And, 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 and in theater, you know, he did so much. I mean, he did, you know, the fascist uh, Julius Caesar. Um, you know, um, during the Mercury days, which was apparently unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen stills shots of that. The lighting was incredible. Then he did, of course, the famous, you know, all black Macbeth, uh, which was, you know, a huge hit. And, you know, then he did Moby Dick in London. And the way he did Moby Dick was the whale was lights, you know, was this extraordinary light sequence you know so he was just he always did just amazing things (laughs) every and everything was different that you know that's the extraordinary thing is that I don't think that he really you can say oh that's an Orson Welles movie because it's an no 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 I think they're all very different and everything that he did it was never repetitious in any kind of way Mm. I love that you said that. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, because you should think about, if I look back and I think about his work and what he did, be it on stage or be it in the movies or whatever, it's, you know, they're really, it's not, it's not the same, you know, mm-hmm. it really so isn't. Experimental, trying new things. Trying new things, exactly. I mean, you know, and, and if you go back to, you know, Citizen Kane, which I, the last time I saw was four years ago. It was uh, uh, AFI. They did a special screening because it was, I don't know, it was an anniversary, I think. I can't remember. Um, But I hadn't seen it on the big screen in years. And it was mind-boggling to see it on the big screen. I mean, and I've seen it God knows how many times. I've got to see, I've seen it now over 20 times. I'm not kidding. And every time I see it, there's something that I have missed that I have not seen before, which is... (laughs) pretty amazing you know yeah. yeah and to see it on the big screen is is really an amazing experience I mean if anybody has a chance if we ever have movies again that we can go to safely Citizen Kane is is playing at your local movie theater please uh-huh. go see it because you will love it it is it, it really is amazing it really is so have there been any recent projects that are in the works or what's kind of been going on recently in the last few years? Really nothing, you know, I, I, nothing extraordinary. I mean, it's it, unfortunately, you know, my father didn't, even though he ended up 
paying for most of the movies he made. He ended up selling them, you know, because he needed the money. Because And so that means that I have had really nothing to work with or nothing to be able to, you know, restore or save. The only thing I was ever able to do was Othello because it was the only thing that he owned. And, you know, that was back in the early 90s. Everything else is, you know, owned by somebody else and you have to plead and beg and they don't care about you. And, you know, which mm-hmm. has been very frustrating for me. But it's what what I recently did is I had a, a bunch of his sketches and, uh, and drawings and it's gone uh, to a, uh, a private uh I don't know what to call him. He's a friend, actually. I've known him for years, but it's going to he, it's in Spain. It's a Spanish gentleman who has an extraordinarily beautiful uh, finca, which is like a ranch, and it's open to. He's going to make it open to the public, and all the art will be uh, on display uh, in this beautiful Spanish house I guess you call it. I don't know what else to call it it's huge it's gorgeous it and it's cool. only 30 minutes away from where my father is buried so it's kind of on the same uh-huh. in the same place so it's kind of very fitting that it ended up there I you know for a while the academy here you know the motion whatever it is not very fond of them neither was my father but anyway <laughs> the <laughs> academy you know the Oscar place you know, they have that big museum that they're they're opening and they were interested and uh, I was I always tried and have tried throughout my life to not really do what I want to do but try to think what he would have done if were in my position you know if it was him not me um, which sometimes different than what I would have wanted but I you know because I think differently from him you know I'd like I would have loved to have made a museum for him and I almost did and thank god I didn't because halfway through I realized it's just the last thing he would have just hated that so much so I didn't do it but I wanted to do it but never mind you know it's that's yeah. the way I've decided to whatever I've been able to do for my father I've tried to do it in thinking about what he would have done not what I want which is Mm -hmm. kind of frustrating sometimes is one of your jobs kind of to keep his legacy going and yes it it always has been and it was a big shock and a big surprise because you know nobody ever talked to me I mean never sort of turned around to me and said you know darling when I go (laughs) you're gonna be in charge I mean who would have thought I mean I just it's the last thing that crossed my mind and my mother, you know, died in a car accident uh, six months after my father died. Okay. So I was left with sort of every, you know, not everything, but, you know, this was huge responsibility. And it was something that I was not prepared or, or you know, I had no idea. I mean, I had no idea. I was, you know, on a completely different track. I had my own cosmetic company. I was just coming forward with that. And all this happened. And suddenly, you know, I was in charge of, you know, his legacy. I mean, you know, to try and keep it alive and, and do the best that I could to keep it, you know, in, the yeah. sa- in a safe way and in a way that he would have wanted, you know, which is, I think, at least I, I believe I know what he would have wanted, you know, right. since I knew him so well. But yes, yes, that's what I've spent my 
the last 30 years of yeah. my life, 35 years of my life doing. Now it's, you know, it's, it's really come to, the art was really the last thing that I thought, what can I do with it? Because, you know, it's just sitting in box, boxes apart from, you know, the few pieces that I have up on, on the wall that are, you know, personal and, you know, everything else, you know, that stuff mustn't sit in a box. And at the same time, it didn't belong in a museum. He would not have wanted it in a museum. So Mm -hmm. when I was talking to my friend, it was like, oh, this is perfect. You know, it goes back to Spain. He's buried literally 30 minutes away. It's the next town over. It's in southern Spain. It's beautiful. And, you know, and it'll be open to the public to come and see, you know, and uh, lovely. How lovely. Well, that sounds like the perfect place for the artwork to. Yeah. And it was meant to be, you know, it was meant to be Lauren. It's one of those things that I didn't plan it. I was just, you know, a few years I've been wondering what to do. And as I said, you know, the Academy was interested and I was iffy about that because I knew he would really hate that. Um, And then suddenly bang out of the blue, this happened. And I, you know, I think everything's meant to be if, if you wait long enough, you know, Mm -hmm. What are his skepticisms about the Academy about? Well, you know, the Academy was, uh, you know, they they were very unkind to him with Kane. You know, they nominated him. You know, I think he was nominated. I can't remember, but he was nominated for director, best picture, best writer, best actor. Uh, I, yeah, he had four nominations. Uh, and, you know, and then they booed. He didn't go, but they booed him because of oh, you know all that thing with K- with um, Hearst and everything else yeah and he just he never really liked them he I don't think he ever forgave them for that because it was so you know they they lauded him making it the best movie ever and then you know and then booed when his name would come up they booed him and I don't think he ever really got over that and in all the years yeah. you know I mean they never ever acknowledged him for anything except for giving him in 1971 and he was the first recipient of it and it was I, I don't know I, I have it here I should read it I can't even read it anymore I have the Oscar next to me but um it was for you know best what it, lifetime achievement that's what it is it's the lifetime achievement and he was the first one they gave it to and you know he didn't go of course and he always called it the guilt Oscar not the g-i-l-t the g-u-i-l-t <laughs> oh god <laughs> so you know that's uh, that's what he thought about the academy you were so kind and i'm just so grateful that you set time aside to speak to me through the legacy theater and people are just going to be so excited to hear what you had to say and you're very kind i just pray for you yeah, and everybody you. else keep everything crossed i would love to come and we will be stay in touch over that yes and- definitely <laughs> Well, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today, and I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for listening to On Air with Legacy Theatre, and thank you to Brad Ross for the theme music. You can follow us at LegacyTheatreCT.org.